Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 12, Leading Human Space Exploration. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So on this podcast, we bring in the brightest minds at NASA, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know the coolest parts about what's going on today at America's Space Agency. So today we're talking with Ellen Ochoa. She's the director of the NASA Johnson Space Center, yes, the whole center here in Houston, Texas, and also a former astronaut. She was the first Hispanic woman in space with over 41 days in space, uh, over four missions. And we had a great discussion about human space exploration, what we're doing here in Texas to make it a possibility, how we're working with commercial and international partners, and what the future has in store for a human presence in space. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Dr. Ellen Ochoa. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Well, Ellen, thanks for so much for coming on the show today. I know you're really busy, especially because this is just this is the week after we're reopening after Harvey. So there's just a lot going on right now, and you're kind of smack dab in the middle of it. How's that been? Well, we have a great team, which is fortunate yeah. because uh, we got a, a lot of work done in our facilities once the storm subsided enough that we could get our facility managers in. And we worked over 700 work orders of things that needed to be fixed for no people to way. come back to work on Tuesday, right after Labor Day. But it all got done. There was only a couple of areas where people couldn't come back to their normal workspace, and it didn't affect very many people. And we were easily able to find other places for them. So, you know, the main impact, just like in organizations all over Houston, is that we have employees, um, people who work in our community here who you know, were, of course, greatly impacted. Uh, homes flooded, lost their possessions, lost vehicles. Yeah. And, and that's really the long-term impact that we're seeing from the storm. But our folks really pitched in to, to help out those folks as much as possible early on. And then we just want to make sure that as the weeks and months go by, we're still there to help them out. Absolutely. I know it's still going on right now. I know a lot of my friends, we, we started like a little support group to see who's okay, who's not, who needs stuff. I know the Giruth was open for a little bit, taking donations and that kind of thing. So it's just, it's cool to see all the community coming together and, and doing all of this. It's, it's, it's been quite a quite a cool thing to see really so <laughs> yes. uh, but you know you kind of have a perspective uh, like no other right because you're you're the director here at the Johnson Space Center so you you see a little bit of everything is that is that kind of a fair way to say what your role is like you you see everything I think that's one of the great things about the job is yeah. you do see everything that has to come together to make all the missions happen and, and of course it's in just a really wide variety of areas mm-hmm and I have much better appreciation of everything it takes than I did when I was in the astronaut office. I, I saw just a, maybe a small portion of it, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I do have the opportunity to see much broader view, as well as, of course, we work with other centers, we work with international partners, we work with companies. So it goes even well beyond JSC. That's perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping to get into today. Just kind of because that's really we really we've been talking to different segments of JSC throughout this, you know, the past couple episodes of this podcast, but really haven't seen the full scope of everything that's going on. But, you know, just in the Johnson Space Center, 
partner in general. I mean, we haven't really even talked too much about that here on the podcast. So, I mean, where is the Johnson Space Center? We say Houston, Texas, but, you know, where is it? What's the history behind it? Well, it's in the, the southeast portion yeah. of Houston. It, you know, when the when it was first, the land was first uh, designated for it, it was really way outside the city. And, of course, the city has sort of grown to encompass it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was back in 1961 when Houston was announced as this is going to be the location of the new manned spacecraft center. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later is when the first employees came. Some of them transferred uh, fr- mainly from Langley Research Center in Virginia, and then mm-hmm. and then there were some new hires. Uh, but they were in a building um, that is essentially inside the loop. And so while this land had been determined, you know, nothing was built yet. So uh, they had to build it. And so it was in 1963 when we actually opened for business on this site where we are today. Huh. Oh, wow. So it was just, uh, did they just lease a building and just kind of start up operations here and just kind of get the ball rolling for the first two years, I guess? Yeah. 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 All right. Wow. It's the um, Parks and, there's a, it's a Parks and Recreation building now. Uh, Oh, fantastic. And they still, they have some pictures of of the early NASA days in that building today. I, I was going flipping through a book one time <laughs> that actually showed some pictures yeah. of that. You know, this is where everything sort of started, right. and I've been meaning to stop by, but I actually I never got it. I just knew I knew there was something something else, some other part that used to be not necessarily the Johnson Space Center because even before it was the Johnson Space Center, it wasn't it wasn't called that for a while, right? It was the manned spacecraft manned center, spacecraft center up until yeah. 1973? Exactly, um, but it was you know they they purchased the it was farmland originally right yes yeah it was it was way out away from the city yeah there was really nothing around there right Uh so but except for the lake and everything but now it's it's grown so much right so now now we're one of many centers and at 10 right we're one of 10 centers Mm -hmm. so i mean there's just a lot of different sections that make up the whole agency of of nasa so what's what's johnson's role then what's in in that grand scheme of things. Well, we, you know, we were called the Manned Spacecraft Center when we started, and that really is our role to lead human space exploration for the agency, really for the country. Mm-hmm. And and that is, uh, c- continues to be our role, has been our, that, our role throughout our history and continues to do that. So we both develop human spacecraft and then we fly missions, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, using those spacecraft. Yeah. So, at different points in our history, we focus more on development and other times more on ops. And I would say right now, there's just a whole lot of both. Wow. <laughs> uh, we're doing both. Obviously, we're operating the International Space Station. And right. so we've been um, it, doing that uh, continuously with people on board for almost 17 years. That's right. And so we're operating every minute of every day with people in space. But we also have more development going on than at any time than maybe in the very first few years of our history. Wow. Uh, with the Orion spacecraft here, yeah. uh, with the commercial crew program where we work with both Boeing and SpaceX. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of other smaller developments, but those are the big ones. And so it's, it's really quite an exciting time. So, you know, we need to understand what it takes to build spacecraft and what it takes to keep humans healthy inside spacecraft and performing well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We select and protect the astronauts. We plan, train, and fly for missions. Mm -hmm. We have expertise that is very unique to humans in space, like all the spacewalking expertise across the agency. So, uh, So 
uh, here at Johnson Space Center, we're really responsible for all of that. Wow. So, okay, let's kind of break that down. So we have, um, you know, we have operations, we have development, we have the astronaut corps. Let's start, let's start at operations. Really, I would say the epicenter of that is probably mission control, right? That's the whole idea of operations, right? Yes, everything yeah. it takes. Um, I, I would say mission control is the third leg, right? It's, oh, it's okay. planning for missions, training for missions, and then actually flying there you go. the okay. missions. Yes. Cool. And by training, it's training the astronauts and training the flight control system, flight controllers, and, ah, and yeah. the, so the whole system with MCC, ground and flight. Okay, so that's called the flight operations, right? Yes. That's That's really right. what that is. And right. it's just making sure that everything is just going smoothly. We are we're operating we're flying we're doing right now right exactly um so you know in terms of development i know you you mentioned the orion so we're developing the orion um we're are we doing that just at the johnson space center or is that kind of a wider effort well we're we're the host center for that okay. so we have the program office here uh, we work very closely with lockheed which, which is our prime contractor hmm. and then there are uh, of course other centers involved other nasa centers the, the primary one would be glenn research center because they have a role in working with the european space agency they sort of play that integration role the oh. european space agency is providing the service module portion of orion yeah and uh, and glenn's the primary interface between uh, European Space Agency and the Orion program. Wow. So how much how much have, are you as a, as director involved in all of these relationships? Relationships between centers, relationships between international partners. How how are you involved in that? Well, the Orion program manager reports to me, there so <laughs> uh, so I I feel absolutely responsible for the success of the program. Now day to day, they work that within the Orion program. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know day to day, they're working all of those relationships. Yeah, uh, but um, Janet Cavandi, who is the director at Glenn, and of course came from Johnson Space Center, she was an astronaut here as well. Oh, cool. Um, we are in meetings together uh, on Orion reviews and status reports and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, and um, I'm actually going to Germany later this month, uh, oh, Bremen, wow. Germany, which is where the European service module is being assembled and tested. So it's actually my first opportunity to see their uh, manufacturing and assembly operations over there. Oh, okay. So you kind of, you have to travel to go see how everything is going. Cause you said, you know, Orion, you said now that's where we're centered here, right? We're centered at the Johnson Space Center. Right. That's, that's kind of where we're going out of, but we have to work with all of these different pieces to make it come together. And so going out to see the facilities and I know there's different testing going on at different centers, specifically at NASA, right? So you sure. got certain testing going on at Kennedy, certain testing going on at Glenn. And so it, it, Johnson oversees all of that. Is that true? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Program. Mm -hmm. So what about commercial crew? That's a kind of a joint effort as well, right? Yes. So uh, in terms of the actual program office, it's a, a combination of Kennedy Space Center and, and Johnson Space Center. Oh, okay. It's about half and half if you look at the people. Uh, the program manager is a Kennedy Space Center employee, although she came from Johnson. <laughs> um, and so it's really uh, quite a close collaboration between our two centers to run that program. Yeah. And, and and then Marshall Space Flight Center plays a role as well because oh. of their expertise in main propulsion systems. Uh, and then of course they, they have contracts with the two companies that we are, are using to develop these new services, right. Boeing and SpaceX. So, yeah. so they work 
you know, daily with with those companies. And where are um, Boeing and SpaceX kind of centered? Do they work on one of the, some of the centers, or do they have their own facilities? Uh, Boeing is uh, primarily using a facility at Kennedy Space Center okay. that used to be one of the space shuttle facilities. Yeah. Um, so we used to call it the Orbiter Processing Facility, but now it's being used by Boeing. Cool. And then uh, SpaceX has their uh, facility out in Hawthorne, California. All right. Okay, so everywhere. We're, <laughs> we're really all over the place to make this come together. And commercial crew, I mean, the whole idea behind that program is to... I guess launch America, right? We're ta- we're talking about bringing in private companies, SpaceX and Boeing, to send our astronauts up to um, up to the International Space Station, right? Exactly. Yeah, and right now we have a relationship with them, and we're trying to get this uh, going. And how's I mean, from from your viewpoint, how is what's kind of the landscape as it is right now for commercial crew? Oh, they're making progress every week. Yeah. Um, some of it you see in the news. A lot of it are technical reviews that you're not necessarily going to read about. Sure. Um, but uh, you know, when they do a more visible test or they have some sort of milestone, um, you know, uh, Boeing uh, sort of unveiled the suit that they're going to wear on launch and landing, and and there's been one picture of the SpaceX one as well. Yes, yeah, right. Um, that hints. was sent out. And uh, one of the interesting things about Boeing is, um, of course, both companies were able to propose how they plan to do operations. Mm -hmm. Uh, What Boeing chose to do initially was really sort of have Johnson Space Center personnel kind of subcontract to them. So we are actually doing their operations initially so that they can focus on the development and testing of the actual spacecraft and the integration with the rocket. Oh, wow. So here at Johnson Space Center now, we have a Boeing mission simulator. Um, we have another uh, Boeing Starliner mock-up in our, our space vehicle mock-up facility that we can use for testing and form and fit and things like that. Wow. So we have more of the Boeing equipment here, and we're much more involved in the operations just because of how they chose to do it in their model. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah, making great progress, doing some amazing things. So that's kind of like, you're, you know, we, we kind of go went through operations. We're talking about the development. There's also some kind of support elements too, right? We're doing, we're doing a lot of science here as well, right? So we have, we're, we're looking at the astronauts and we have a whole program, the human research program, right? That's kind of looking at what, you know, what happens to the human body in space. Yeah, we really have sort of two areas of science that we work on here at Johnson Space Center. And one is, as I mentioned earlier, we're the lead for human health and performance in space. Okay. So we need to understand, uh, you know, how does space change humans? And what are the risks to humans' health? And then how do we mitigate those risks? Right. And so we do host the human research program for Mm -hmm. the agency, which is um, the one that is really looking at uh, how do we learn more about these risks doing research and of course, a lot of the subjects are, are astronauts who are in space. Definitely. Uh, and then trying to understand how to mitigate those. We also, of course, just have day-to-day operations in terms of keeping our folks healthy in orbit. Mm-hmm. Then we have a, a, another science group that is really uh, focused on uh, planetary science. Okay. And uh, particularly sample science, and that's really grown out of you know, the initial role back in the 60s where when we brought the moon rocks, they came back to Johnson Space Center. Mm-hmm. And we have scientists here who uh, actually, uh, you know, are experts in understanding how you look 
at uh, extraterrestrial samples and learn from them. Wow. Um, there are, of course, scientists all around the world that do that, but we have some physically here with some very unique instruments here at Johnson Space Center. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we curate and we keep and curate really all of the extraterrestrial samples that have been collected by all missions in, in the United States. So we really Whoa. have a unique collection here. I always really think of it as probably the most precious, uh, unique uh, repository anywhere in the country, if not the world, <laughs> right here at Johnson Space Center. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I've, I've talked to some airy scientists, right? That's, the, that's mm -hmm. the group, the astromaterials folks. And they, um, some of them said that, you know, that's, this is where all the, the moon rocks are, right? All the moon rocks yes, that were collected yes. during the Apollo right. program. Right. All of them are cutting through here. And, you know, sure, we give samples out to different organizations and universities and whatever, but, but this is where it's centralized. This is where everything comes from. And there's some that have never been exposed to Earth's atmosphere, right? They're still in the oh, packaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They keep them in a mm -hmm. special atmosphere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a very controlled facility, right? That's where everything goes through. Amazing. I mean, there's a lot of other parts, though. You know, I mean, there's Johnson Space Center is huge. I know there's, um, uh, th there's a whole engineering and robotics section right there's whole you know for especially for human missions thinking about that well our our engineering directorate is the largest organizations organization that we have here at johnson space center because wow. they support everything that we do yeah. right yeah um you know in particular the, the, of course they grew up in the apollo program so they uh, you know their job then was to design develop test all you know, human spacecraft, and that's still what they do. And so wow. we have expertise in a variety of areas. Yeah. Uh, and we do have a portion of it that uh, there's a division that looks at automation and software, and that includes robotics as well. So mm -hmm. uh, part of that has been looking at uh, how might you use, for example, humanoid robotics as astronaut assistance. And yeah. then there are other projects in there that are looking at how you use uh, virtual reality either for astronaut training or for other types of things that help us carry out our human spaceflight missions. Wow. So, I mean, so much engineering going on. There's, you, I mean, you have the expertise of, of folks that, you know, have been here for a while and understand all the systems that have been built throughout the years, have the history. I guess, you know, what's the what's the profile of, of the workers here at, at the Johnson Space Center? You have, you have engineers, obviously, that are in the engineering building, but kind of how is it all scattered throughout the, the, the center? Well, about three quarters of our civil servant workforce is science and engineering. Wow. And then the other quarter is all of the other uh, tasks that it takes to carry carry on a center, whether it's, you know, human resources yeah. or our uh, financial analysts and our procurement experts, our public relations experts, for example, like you. Unbiased, <laughs> but I think it's best just saying. <laughs> so um, all of those other um, activities take up about a, a quarter. And then, of yeah. course, we have many contractors who work on site, uh, either on site or close to site, probably t uh, two times as many of those folks as civil servants. Wow. And really together we, we form a big team that, that make it all happen. Yeah, exactly, make it all happen. That's absolutely right. And it's it's a big team here at the Johnson Space Center, but you know, there's relationships, you know, as we were hinting to before, where we have to work with other centers, right? We have to, we're working with Orion and ta taking other centers in there. And really it's an agency-wide effort to make a lot of these things happen. So how is that kind of balancing relationships with 
other centers just in the if if you were to take a bird's eye view of how Johnson Space Center interacts with everyone else and headquarters, how, the whole landscape of, um, of of NASA as an agency. What's that kind of look like? Well, we interact in some way with all the other centers, but there are wow. some that we interact much more closely with, the ones that have really been involved in human spaceflight, you know, since the beginning. Sure. So Marshall Space Flight Center in Alabama and Kennedy Space Flight Center in Florida. Yeah. And then also Stennis um, in Mississippi, which is a smaller center, but... Uh, they participate in the in the main propulsion engine testing. Oh. Um, so they work pretty closely with Marshall. So those are the ones that we have always had uh, the most interaction with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we're really, uh, we have a model where uh, almost every center we have some interactions with. For example, we work with Langley on entry, descent, and landing. When we think about landing on Mars, mm-hmm. um, they have some specialists in it, and we do too. We're focused on it you know, pretty much from human missions, and they look at a broader range of missions, including science missions and how you do that. Yeah. But as you look at various different specialties, you know, there's different centers then that has, have expertise that we work with or that we pull on. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it sounds like. I mean, there's different expertise just around the country, but then, as you were hinting to, there's different facilities and capabilities around, right? So Stennis has a certain testing capabilities. So, you know, if we need to test something, this is the place to do it. I know for um, James Webb, right, that's a great one. They The James Webb is making its rounds on different um, parts of the agency because they dif- have different capabilities, right? For example, right now, James Webb is here because we have a really large vacuum chamber. We can do vacuum chamber testing here, um, whereas in different other facilities they can do different testing. I know, uh, was was Glenn one of the other ones they had, right? Uh, yeah, Glenn, yeah, Glenn does spacecraft um, thermal vacuum testing as well. Yeah, yeah. thermal vacuum testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had the vibration table too, right? Or is that yes. somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of testing around. Yeah, we're, we're very glad to have the James Webb here. It's a little bit out of what we normally do yeah. um, since it's not part of human spaceflight. Sure. Um, so it's, uh, you know, one of the highest, probably the highest science mission priority at the agency right now. Oh, definitely. And so a decision was made several years ago that we had the right facility to be able to do this very specific test. We did have to do a number of modifications because there really wasn't any facility available hmm. that could meet all the conditions they needed, you know, the the cold. So it's not just a vacuum chamber, it's a thermal vacuum chamber. Thermal vacuum chamber. Um, wow. It's cooled down to 20 degrees Kelvin right now, which is minus 423 degrees Fahrenheit, (laughs) and and then had to get to vacuum and also had to be isolated from vibrations, so really quite a lot of constraints that had to be met in order to do this test, which we're right in the middle of. Yeah, how about that? Wow. Um, 20 Kelvin, that is just amazing. I can't even imagine, but... um, you know, we have that's that's what we have. We have facilities that can test things like no others. So they take um, uh, James Webb around. I'm just very excited to see what they're going to be, <laughs> what what that spacecraft is going to do. I am so ex- excited. This it's really amazing what this capable of. But um, you know, talking about relationships with with other centers and and NASA as an agency, thinking about partnerships beyond that, right? So we're for example, uh, we are in operations for the International Space Station. And the first word, international, is extremely important. We have relationships all over the world. Um, so kind of 
how how does that work? That international collaboration and partnership to make to make the International Space Station happen, to make it operational. I think that's one of the real strengths of Johnson Space Center yeah. is that uh, we are sort of known as an integrator. And when hmm. you put together human spaceflight missions, it always involves many partners. But of course, the ISS, the International Space Station, <laughs> really took that to a whole new level. Uh, so it's uh, a collaboration primarily among five space agencies that represent 15 countries. Yeah. But as it's been built and as we've operated, we've actually had interactions with 95 different countries um, through principal investigators of experiments and educational activities. Uh, so <laughs> that really does take international to a whole new level. We've yeah. flown crew members from 18 different countries. Wow. So, and, and, and we've got to keep track of all of those, um, put together all those partnerships, yeah. uh, make sure they're all working. Uh, <laughs> so it really is uh, pretty amazing from just a partnership and a, and a global leadership perspective, you know, not even considering really the technical and, and operational complexity of the whole spacecraft. Yeah, I mean, well, well, getting into that, you know, how does it's called an international space station? We've had you said we've had multiple crews from multiple different countries, but what you know, what is everyone's part in making this kind of international thing come to be? And how you know, especially in your position as as the director, kind of making all that happen diplomatically. Well, uh, so most of the, the original space centers uh, provided module or modules, right? So, yeah, yeah. So a lot of the modules came from the Russian Space Agency, uh, many uh, from NASA, and then there's also laboratories from the Japanese Space Agency and from the European Space Agency. Yeah. And the Canadians provided the robotic arm wow. uh, that we use there. So, you know, physically, hardware-wise, that, that's what uh, people have contributed to that. Yeah, actual uh, parts of the International yes. Space Station. And so a as they've contributed to that, um, they've then also had opportunities to fly their crew members mm -hmm. and to help define the science that goes on. And as the years have mm -hmm. gone by, we've had more and more capability of performing science and other types of research and development activities in just a whole wide variety of areas. And it's not just NASA and the U.S. that do that, but other countries uh, are performing science as well. Wow. Just just working with in, in this landscape, right? It's, it's kind of unique, just working with so many different countries. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is perspective. Just everyone's kind of got everyone's kind of got a goal and, and a different way of viewing things. What have you learned just in, in your position talking and with all of these different countries about, you know, goals? Maybe that may be similar or, or different, but just something you've learned from being in this landscape of international collaboration. Well, you do have to have common goals for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you get a couple layers down, of course, they do vary a little bit because different countries may have um, particular desires in certain um, technology or science areas that they really want to focus on, uh, which might be different than in other countries, for example. Mm -hmm. but, they, but they all are very committed to the idea of the International Space Station and working collaboratively. And so you have to work out, well, who gets uh, you know, crew time, um, if you sure. have to change the attitude of the station that for one experiment, how does that affect the others? Um, oh. And really, again, it's our ops folks who make that happen day to day. So right. 
uh, Mission Control here works with Mission Control Centers at other places around the world. Hmm. Uh, but we're really sort of, again, the integrating, the coordinating function. Yeah. Trying to make sure that all of the space agencies and all of the other users, all of the science users, um, are able, we're able to meet their desires. Uh, yeah. You know, there has to be compromise because they, <laughs> they don't always work out. Uh, but working through that and coming up with a plan every single day of, of what we're going to be doing and how we're going to accomplish the mission. Wow. I mean, you just kind of summarized that in a few, you know, sentences. But really, I mean, you're talking about folks weighing in on everything. And just the, the fact that it's, it's happening is kind of amazing. The fact that, you know, we can actually have this international collaboration with so many perspectives, so many people weighing in, so many decisions that need to be made to make, the, you know, it accomplish um to accomplish this goal of running the International Space Station, experiments on board. It's, it's kind of quite amazing, but I mean, going forward, is there, what, what other sorts of international collaboration are we looking forward to? I know Orion is in the mix, right? You already right. hinted at that right. European Space Agency is building parts of it, but you know, missions, missions to space and how international collaboration plays a part. Yeah, well, I think very definitely as we go out beyond low-Earth orbit and, yeah. and do missions in deep space that they will be international as well, huh. and we will build on the relationships and and the partnerships and the agreements um, yeah. that we have built up through the International Space Station. So really, they are the key to us moving forward collaboratively with other yeah. nations. And as we mentioned, there's already a partnership between Orion NASA and the European Space Agency, ESA, mm -hmm. on Orion, and we just expect to see more partnerships as time goes on. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Is there, I mean, what's the, so the relationship, you know, between NASA and European Space Agency, ESA, you know, what, is the, the goal's the same, right? We want to go out further into space. So what's kind of the, the goal of Orion with those two parts when they combine? Uh, what's that, what's the goal there? Well, Orion is the spacecraft that will allow people to get out beyond low Earth orbit, of course, with the use of the Space Launch System, SLS, the heavy lift rocket. Right. But Orion also has the capability to bring them back safely from beyond low Earth orbit, very which important. has very different requirements uh, okay. than coming back from low Earth orbit, much different ah. heating environment. And you also have a very different environment, uh, say, around the moon or somewhere else than you do in low Earth orbit. Yeah. Different temperatures, different radiation environment all of that. So Orion is built to those much different requirements than our vehicles that are built only to go uh, to and from low Earth orbit. So mm -hmm. so it really is the key, you know, one of the cornerstones that you have to have in order to to be moving out beyond low Earth orbit. Yeah, investing a lot of time and making this, you know, as, as good as it can be and learning from right. it so we can keep going further and further out. It's a pretty cool landscape. But, you know, internationally, kind of bringing it back home uh, to to here in the United States, we have, we talked about relationships with within NASA, with other centers, but, and then we sort of hinted at relationships in the private sector, but we are trying to build a, a private industry in space, right? A commercial, a burgeoning whole industry, the space industry. So what's that kind of look like from your perspective? Again, really, ISS is the key to that, right? Because it's, Station, if right? you think about it, it's really the anchor customer. Okay. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's in low Earth orbit. Um, every minute of every day yeah. needs to be resupplied with uh, just basic living supplies, equipment, with science experiments, mm -hmm. um, and, of course, with people. 
with astronauts coming to and from. So we are really using that as the platform to help build up a commercial market for low Earth orbit. Uh, but without the International Space Station, it really doesn't exist in terms of human spaceflight. Obviously, <laughs> there's um, you know communication satellites and other yeah. things like that that are are uh, in a different category. But when you think of human spaceflight, it really is the International Space Station that is the key to doing all of that. Yeah. So several years ago, probably close to 10 years ago now, we started up the um, uh, commercial transportation services where we were looking at um, uh, having companies help develop services that would bring supplies to and from the International Space Station. Cargo, yeah. And so, you know, we now have two companies that are doing that um, with SpaceX and, and Orbital ATK, and we mm -hmm. have a third company on contract, Sierra Nevada Corporation, and we hope to see their vehicle, um, the the Dream Chaser, uh, yeah, flying like in a, about 2019 or so. Looks like a bent shuttle. Um, looks but cool. that was really a pathfinder for us because we were uh, using mechanisms other than sort of standard contracts for the first part of that development. <laughs> and we were also... Uh, requiring the companies to put in some of their own investment. Hmm. Um, otherwise, it really isn't commercial at all, right? It's just the same model we've always done, where we fund companies to do things. We've yeah. done that since the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and so um, unless companies are actually investing themselves and then looking for other customers besides NASA, ah. I wouldn't really call it commercial. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're, you know, we're still building that up. Um, but right now they are they are working for NASA and looking to understand what other customers are going to be out there in the next few years that may also need logistics or need their supplies either need rocket or spacecraft or or what else to do that yeah and then uh, you know we've moved on to the second phase which is um, looking at developing services to actually bring crew to and from which again is a much different issue <laughs> um, because of the reliability that's required. And um, so you really have to look at um, all of the safety aspects in a, in a different way than you do when you're, when you're taking cargo. Definitely. So, you know, in the midst of that development right now, but we hope to see those test flights uh, going off in 2018. Wow. So that's kind of, like you said, that's kind of the, the, the first step, right? The first step is building this industry with the International Space Station, because you said there's there's a customer waiting, right, waiting in space right now that needs these services. But hopefully, it'll kind of build this entire industry around it. And you know, right. you're right. It's, there's already a non-human element to it, but even human, that's really exciting to think about. Because even like you you hinted at before, we've been in space continuously for 17 years almost right mm -hmm. 2000 yeah. Be, yeah so yeah November very, 1st of this year exactly yeah. so I mean just there's been a human presence in space people might not even know it but it's it's existing already but to think that it's going to grow into something even better that's that's pretty cool to think about and there's a, a lot of other ways that the space station is contributing to more of this commercial market and a lot of it is what is it that we fly on space station, all the science and R&D? Mm -hmm. um, half of the station resources in terms of things like crew time and power and volume mm -hmm. is dedicated to ISS as a national laboratory. Yeah, And so that means they're flying experiments not for NASA in that half, but for other organizations that want to make use of the space environment. So it could be 
companies that are trying to develop new products. It could be um, nonprofit organizations. It could be schools. We fly things for schools. Mm -hmm. um, but really trying to understand more about the benefits of doing things in a space environment. If it's you know developing new materials or learning more about medicines or um, you know, growing proteins that will help us develop better medicines on Earth, mm -hmm. um, uh, doing cancer research. I mean, there's just this whole wide variety of things that we do um, that has grown over the years. And, you know, we hope in some cases that companies will then want to team up with uh, a, a commercial company that might have a, a, a smaller space station or some sort of space module hey, where it would cool. focus more on a particular activity that appeals to a particular industry. Wow. And then, you know, right now on the International Space Station, we have a, an inflatable module that was provided by Bigelow Aerospace. And, yeah. and the, the goal of that company is to provide inflatable modules as space stations for customers in a commercial way. Yeah. Uh, that technology, uh, interestingly enough, was uh, originally licensed from Johnson Space Center. We had people that developed that inflatable technology here yeah. a, a number of years ago, and then we licensed it to Bigelow Aerospace. So it's come a little bit for full circle. <laughs> but there are other opportunities like that to test technologies that can be used in space that could be provided commercially but using ISS as a test bed right now because it is in space and we do essentially do we provide all of the infrastructure and all of the services yeah uh, for anybody that wants to use it well that's the whole thing with beam right is I mean Bigelow wants to make you know use it for habitats I guess but yes. they want to test the, the 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 structure they want to test the engineering behind it so you plug it into the International Space Station space station gives you power data whatever and there you go now you have a place to test it so that whenever you do launch it it's going to work for you right. so that's it's an exciting landscape so <laughs> it's just a lot of cool things going on I mean thinking about the future the just what 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 is possible you know, especially from your perspective as director, you, you're working towards building something, right? You're built, working towards going out, towards exploring blank, towards building blank. So how, how would you imagine the future of human spaceflight uh, in, the, in, in next, I guess in the short term, but also in the long term? What, what are your goals? Well, the, the plans that we have, the concept that we have is to build some in infrastructure in the 2020s uh, hmm. in orbit around the moon. And it could be a variety of different kinds of orbits, depending on, on what you want to do. Mm -hmm. But really to demonstrate for NASA, the goal is to uh, demonstrate all the capabilities that you need to eventually go on to Mars, which we would like to do in the 2030s. Mm -hmm. But we really need to get out beyond low Earth orbit and test it in a different environment that's yeah. uh, more similar to what we might see on a long duration mission. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, we want to work with international partners and they're very interested in working with us. And um, you may have seen the document Global Exploration Roadmap. Uh, we've put out two or three different versions now um, over a few years where there's actually 12 different space agencies around the world that have contributed to this document and talked about what they want to do uh, beyond low Earth orbit. Oh, wow. Now, some of them may not have exactly the same goals we do, but having an infrastructure around the moon is really pretty much important to all of them. Yeah. Um, and so 
So we are working on saying we want to be able to support different activities, even if they're not the ones that NASA is specifically doing, right. but in the lunar vicinity, um, so that uh, we can really do this as an international partnership. Wow. So when you're, when you're talking about these missions, I mean, going around the moon, whenever that profile may be, we're talking about humans, right? Yes, yeah. Wow. The humans would be in Orion. Yeah. And we we also have probably a small habitation module so that you can do missions of maybe several weeks long and, and building up to, to longer missions as you get more capability. But it's really to, you know, it's different than the space station that we have in low Earth orbit because it's really about um, demonstrate building up and demonstrating the capabilities that you do need to actually go off on a mission to Mars. Wow, that's really cool. I mean, these steps, right, they're really important to, to, to go out into the cosmos. I mean, to, to build some a, a, a place to live, a habitat yeah. around, the, around the moon and then go to Mars. I mean, is there a, a way beyond, right? So, so way long term. Do you, do you imagine some sort of a future, a future maybe hundreds of years where we are a spacefaring culture where we are a human species that have explored the solar system like how do you how do you imagine that landscape oh i i think it's absolutely inevitable inevitable wow <laughs> well you can see how much has happened just in the last 10 years in yeah. terms of uh, other companies and other countries um uh, you know joining us mm -hmm. sort of on this on this exploration uh, adventure that we have, and I just see that continuing. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, obviously, you know, you you you've you've been an astronaut. You are now the director of the Johnson Space Center. You, it's fair to say, I think you're passionate about space, right? You you have <laughs> I hope you, so. Yes. <laughs> you have a passion, right? You've invested yes. time and, and your energy into into reaching these goals and and striving forward. But you're you're a leader too. You you have to lead a workforce of thousands of people that also you know we are kind of going towards the same goal. What do you do to to motivate the the workforce? What do you do to build an environment where where we're all striving towards these goals to make to make these things happen? You know, uh, human presence around the moon, around Mars, out into the solar system. You know, what's what do you have to do as a director? Well, fortunately, I don't really have to motivate the people here at Johnson Space Center. They come here very motivated. They're wow. here for a reason. They're here for our mission. Yeah. And and so it's not about me trying to sell them on the mission. They're, they're already sold. <laughs> they're sold. <laughs> so it's really more a matter of focusing and prioritizing, right, and understanding. Yeah. Um, we So obviously we work with the agency as a whole. The agency is part of the federal government, is part of the executive branch of the government. Mm -hmm. And then Congress is the one that actually authorizes and appropriates money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this whole um, system in place that works together to define, you know, what are those longer term goals. Yeah. And, and then we have to translate that into, okay, what does that mean specifically for Johnson Space Center and where should we be prioritizing our time and efforts. Hmm. And so I think that's really the role as opposed to really needing to motivate people in <laughs> yeah. general. Uh, you know, we want to be doing missions. And, and right. so that's that's really the key, and we want to make those missions happen. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we're, uh, we want to, w one of the other jobs that we have here is, you know, trying to look out beyond the near term, which mm -hmm. I think in general is, is pretty well defined and saying, 
you know, what are, what are the skills we need in the workforce? What are the facilities? You know, how's that different than what we have today? How do we shape it so that 10 years down the road we have the right workforce, we have the right facilities, 20 years down the road, yeah. uh, same thing. Mm-hmm. How is that gonna change? You know, what do we need to be doing differently? I think those are the things that I focus on and that my senior staff, the senior leaders here, focus on. Yeah. Um, it takes a team of so, people, right? right Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And you're thinking, you know, years out into the future, but operating now. But the things you're doing now, you have a, you have a vision, you have a goal yeah. to, to, yeah. to make that all happen. So, you know, <laughs> motivating the workforce, you know, obviously we do, we do come <laughs> in. We are passionate about space. That's why I'm here for sure, and I'm sure that's why many others, inspired by one way or another, um, and I think that's really important, right? There's some, there was some form of inspiration that got us here somewhere out, uh, you know, whether it be a movie or a book, or maybe we talked to a NASA engineer slash astronaut, and and that person really convinced us. So, um, you know, how do you how do you view engaging the public and engaging, you know, just people to either appreciate what we do or maybe even invest their lives and 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 come work for us you know what do you do to motivate the public well that's an important part of what we do and Mm -hmm. and I think we're sort of fortunate because we we have such cool things that we can talk about yeah we have people in space and and, you know we have the astronauts and we have mission control and that's true um, we have a lot of cool things to show off um that still brings just so much excitement to people all over the country in fact still all over the world nasa is just a huge very positive brand it's Mm -hmm. and 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 within the country and and within the government it's really looked at as the place where the the government works where it does things right and it does it for the good of the country and and even for the good of the planet Mm -hmm. and so you know as we talked about you know what is our mission sometimes we end up getting focused on the details when really there's this sort of bigger picture. Hmm. Uh, we are a national space agency. The the first the N in NASA is for national. So right. you know what is it in a big picture sense that the whole agency does, which of course is beyond just human spaceflight. Yeah. There's a lot else that goes on in NASA. Mm-hmm. A- and there's a lot to that. It's about expanding scientific knowledge. It is about global leadership and global diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about um, benefits to society yeah Um, you look at some of the work we do on station you know dna sequencing and 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 cancer research and and earth resources work um, that's really directly benefiting people on earth Um, it's about um, uh, the economy and we talked a little bit earlier about how we're um, sort of a key to building this new space economy and also because of the work that we do all across nasa we actually help fund an industrial base across the country. You look at Orion, they actually have hundreds of companies that supply components to Orion in, I think it's, you know, 48 of the 50 states. And um, these companies are able to produce parts that are aerospace-grade parts. Um, And so not only can NASA use them, but there are other industries that can use those as well. Yeah. and so we are part of keeping, you know, the country manufacturing things and, <laughs> and, and really high quality parts as well. Absolutely. And then, you know, the other part is, is you kind of talked about it, but the inspiration part, which mm-hmm. I, I think is huge. Yeah. Uh, I think it's intangible. You can't ever measure it. <laughs> but people have changed what they do with their lives because of NASA. And I'm not just talking about the ones who have come to work for NASA, 
It's other people who have studied science and engineering. It's other people who have just seen NASA do something that seemed so hard, nobody thought you could do it. And they've decided to say, well, I have this goal, may not have anything to do with science and math, but you know, I just saw NASA do something and I, and I know now it's possible. Yeah. Wow. To go out and just achieve, right? To exactly. inspire, to, to do something greater, to, right. to say that you can actually do it. That's amazing. So, I mean, when, when you kind of, you go out and you do speaking engagements, right? And you talk to government leaders and do you see a sort of tone change uh, throughout just when you, whenever you're talking about these messaging, is, is there a general consensus of yes, like, like this makes sense, right? Is there, do people understand what we're doing? Yeah, I, I would say I feel really, really lucky to work at NASA because yeah. everybody always wants to talk about what is NASA doing. <laughs> and and almost everybody you run into has a story about, hey, when I was in elementary school, I got to, you know, grow plants where the seeds came back from a shuttle mission. Yeah. Or, you know, my grandfather worked on the Apollo program. Or, you know, I got to talk to an astronaut through, you know, amateur radio. Um, so you go and you, you hear about all these different stories and whether it's the general public mm -hmm. or whether it's elected officials, we're, we're very lucky to have strong support. And, and I would say, importantly, it's strong bipartisan support. It's, wow. it's not, um, you know, it's really people understand how NASA brings value, those things that I talked about. Yeah. About expanding scientific knowledge and, and bring benefits back to Earth and the inspiration. That really crosses all kinds of boundaries. Wow. <laughs> and, and people see that and they appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, w so we only have a few minutes left, but I mean, you kind of brought up a, a thought for me is, um, you know, we were, we were all inspired. Do, do you have a story of inspiration that got you working for NASA? Well, of course, I watched the Apollo programs, and oh, that okay. was huge when yeah, I was definitely. growing up. People always ask, is that when you decided you wanted to be an astronaut? And I said, you obviously don't remember what it was like in the 60s, because nobody would have ever asked an 11-year-old girl, do you want to grow up and be an astronaut? You know, no uh. women were astronauts. Um, very few women, of course, worked for NASA. Yeah. Um, we've learned about some of them through hidden it, figures, but, yeah. of course, at the time, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, really about any women working for NASA. Yeah. So it wasn't until later, it was really the space shuttle program um, where uh, for a variety of reasons just throughout our country and because of the design of the spacecraft itself, they, they broadened um, uh, who could really apply to be an astronaut. Really anybody that had studied science and engineering, you know, technical field, medicine. Yeah. Um, and so they opened it up to men and women and, and minority astronauts. And, and I was in my first year of graduate school when the shuttle flew for the first time. Wow. And so that really was a game changer in terms of thinking about working at NASA and, and being an astronaut. Wow. So, I mean, it was, it was the Apollo program that instilled in your mind, you know, this love of NASA, but really it didn't become real for you until, until later. But now, I mean, the landscape has totally changed, right? So even when you were in grad school, the landscape was changing, but now we just hired a, a new class of astronauts and they're all over the place, right? We got a couple pilots, but we also have some scientists. We have engineers. We have, you know, it's, it's really diverse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say that's been true for a number of years now, but yeah. it, it's probably even increasing uh, in the last. <laughs> few classes. Where Definitely. Just diverse in almost every way that you can think of. <laughs> yeah. Well, we need it, right? That's the whole, I mean. Well, it, it just... reflects, you know, people across our country. Yeah. And, and you know, is it, it isn't just one kind of group or one kind of background or, you know, 
where you grew up that determines whether you like science and math and whether you're passionate about space and you, um, you know, you're a hard worker and you like learning and you're a quick learner. Those are, and you're, you're a good team member and you're a good leader. Those are all the kinds of things that make good astronauts. And of yeah. course that transcends. Absolutely. all kinds of boundaries. I did have the pleasure of meeting them just for a couple minutes and they were just a fantastic group of people. We even, I, I got like 20 minutes to play a game with them, two truths and a lie, because it was just to get to know them a little bit better. And um, uh, that's all I had. So instead of going through like a minute and some change per person, we played the game. And I thought, you know, I don't know how this is gonna go because this is kind of a different sort of game. So I pitched the idea to them and they went right into it. <laughs> they were just, they were absolutely in love. And you can tell, cause, cause I think that's really important is that that idea of camaraderie the idea that you know you can put these guys in a situation and they're going to have a good time they're going to make it what you know something something real and they're going to they're going to run with it and i think that's important even across the board here at the johnson space center right even just talking about diversity just diversity of thought diversity of of, of people and skill that's that's true here right you said we have we have all kinds of folks engineers we have public affairs officers we have you know everyone just yeah, a different absolutely i think one of the strengths of our team here yeah. is that it is diverse. We yeah. do value inclusiveness and we believe that leads to innovation and innovation is, is hugely important. If we want to be leading human spaceflight 10 or 20 years from now, we can't do that yeah. <laughs> without innovation and it really takes people with all different backgrounds and ideas and thought processes and, and it takes people respecting other people so that you will listen to what they have to say so, and then people feel if I speak up, I'm going to be heard. Somebody's going to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so I am going to speak up. And I do have good ideas. Yeah. And I think all of that is really important to our success today and to our success in the future. Absolutely. It's a great culture. And I think that's a perfect place to, to end it, too, just that uh, whole idea of, of diversity. And, and just it, it's cool to work for a place like this, right? It really is. Because we're all uh, we're working with a, a lot of people, thousands, really, that are passionate about, about the goals that we're going forward so so that it's it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and uh, I, I do feel really fortunate to have you as a leader so thank you very much <laughs> thank you very much I enjoyed talking about Johnson Space Center as always yes absolutely and you're always welcome on the show <laughs> thanks Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Dr. Ellen Ochoa just about the whole landscape of the Johnson Space Center. If you want to know what's going on at the Johnson Space Center, just go to nasa.gov slash Johnson, and that's where you get all the updates of what's going on around the center. On social media, we're very active, and you can go to the uh, NASA Johnson Space Center Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. I believe it's at J NASA JSC or a version of that. Anyway, we're, we're uh, verified on all of those accounts. If you want to follow specifically Ellen Ochoa. She's also on Twitter and she's um, updating on everything that she's doing. As she's hinted in this um, podcast, she's traveling to Germany so stay tuned for um, updates from her. At Astro underscore Ellen. You can uh, find her on Twitter. 
So within the next few year, years, you'll be seeing commercial crew and Orion missions controlled here from Houston. So make sure to check in on those pages too. And on nasa.gov, it's slash commercial crew or slash Orion. Really, they're all pretty easy to find. And if you go on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whichever is your favorite uh, platform, use the hashtag AskNASA and just make sure to um, uh, use HWHAP, HWAP, I think. Yeah, Houston, we have a podcast. Um, just mention us, and, and if you have an idea for the show or a question, uh, we'll be addressing those soon. So this podcast was recorded on September 7th, 2017. Thanks to Alex Perryman, John Stoll, Isidro Reyna, and Debbie Condor. And thanks again to Dr. Ellen Ochoa for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.